Well, good morning again. Um, if you're wondering why we still have this microphone here, we've had some technical difficulties the past several weeks, and so that is just there as a backup um, in case my microphone goes out and then we can seamlessly transition. I don't have to have the handheld mic and feel like I'm performing for you uh, and need to do a comedy routine. Um, so this morning we're continuing our series called Engaging a Broken World, and we come to John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21, and it's a conversation between Jesus and a prominent religious leader in the Jewish community named Nicodemus. Now, both Jesus and John say some wonderful and difficult things in this chapter. Uh, so some of the questions that I want us to be considering this morning as we engage this text are this. Have you been exposed before, and how are you treated by those around you, both inside and outside of the church? Uh, do you live an exposed and vulnerable life where you're known who you really are? Or do you hide in the darkness uh, where no one really knows you and no one really knows your struggles? Do you have this new life that Jesus is going to tell us about this morning? These are some of the things that John brings us face to face with in his text. And he does so through the lens of being born again. Now I know that when you hear the word born again, um, that term doesn't mean as much today. It's been hijacked by our culture. And so if that turns you off immediately um, because you've, you've met or you've been around those born-again Christians um, and that hasn't been a positive or life-giving experience, uh, we're sorry. Um, we hope that this morning this term and the reality which Jesus introduced to Nicodemus so long ago really becomes something that we long for, something that we rejoice in. So please read with me John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I'll read through 21. This is God's word given to us that we might know him and rest in him and have life in him. So please hear the word of the Lord. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you use it to bring us to life. We ask that you would be with us this morning. We all come from different places. Many of us don't know why we're here this morning. Others of us are excited, and some of us honestly wish we were anywhere else. Holy Spirit, meet with us here. Help us to see your love and your grace and your mercy, and draw us to yourself this morning. Shine your light on us that we might bask in your love and grace. It's in Christ's name we come. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before. It's happened to me quite frequently over the years. I've been working on your computer, and all of a sudden it freezes, and you can't keep working. It usually happens at, like, the best time, um, like when you're trying to meet a deadline or you haven't hit save in a while. Uh, and so if you're a PC person, you get what's affectionately called the, the blue screen of death. Or for Apple users, you get the spinning wheel of death. Um, that pinwheel that looks delightful until you realize what's happening. Um, your computer's locked up. It's not functioning the way that it's supposed to, that it's intended and designed to. And the only way to fix it, the only way to get it working again, is to restart it. And that really brings us to our passage this morning. Jesus says in verse 3, we just read, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. In effect, he's saying, if you're going to have life, if you're going to have life eternal, you need to be restarted. You need to hit the reset button. But it's much more than that because we don't actually just need a fresh start. We need a whole new computer, as it were. Calvin says it this way. He says, we need a whole new nature because there's nothing in us that is not defective. We need God to step in and intercede. Jesus says we all need to be reborn. It's, it's not just the bad and it's not just the good. It's every one of us. Now, if that's confusing to you this morning, you're in good company because Nicodemus didn't understand it either when Jesus spoke to him. So just to set the stage before we really jump in, who was this Nicodemus? We read he was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's called Israel's teacher. Uh, This is a well-educated, highly respected, prominent member of the Jewish community. This guy has the right family. He has the right education, the right status, the right everything. So if anyone is going to understand or anyone should understand what Jesus is talking about here, it should be Nicodemus. But we see that Nicodemus, although really sincere in seeking after Jesus, he isn't tracking with him. He doesn't get it. He comes to Jesus at night in darkness, and what he doesn't realize is that his night, his heart, is much blacker than he knew. And we all start out that same way when we approach Jesus. We come at night with black and dark hearts and disbelief in need of being reborn. So this morning, we're just going to ask three questions of the text. First, why do we need to be reborn? Second, how does this rebirth happen? And third, what are the effects from being reborn? So first, why do we need to be reborn? Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night, we said, and he compliments him. He says in verse 2, Rabbi, which is this really respectful kind of collegial term. He says, we know that you're a teacher 
who's come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus is very polite. He's very respectful. He's very sincere in his admiration for Jesus. But Nicodemus doesn't have the advantage of reading the first two chapters of John, and he thinks that Jesus is from God. He thinks that God is actually with this Jesus. But he doesn't yet see that this Jesus is God, that this Jesus is the same God that he spent his whole life studying and teaching about. So Jesus, knowing that he's talking to a prominent religious leader, engages this man in a theological discussion because he knows his audience. This isn't an outsider, which is why we see Jesus being a little bit more direct than we've seen him in other passages we've looked at during this series. Jesus responds very oddly by bringing up the kingdom of God, and he says, if you want to see it, you must be born again. And so for Nicodemus, the kingdom of God, it meant to experience eternal resurrection life. And the prevailing thought of the day was that all the Jews would be admitted to this resurrection life. They would be admitted to the kingdom apart from those who were guilty of deliberately falling away, for those who did extraordinary wickedness. But here, Jesus is telling someone with the highest religious status, with the right family, with the right resume, you won't get this life. You won't see this kingdom unless you're born again. And Nicodemus is confused, and he's shocked, and he doesn't have a category for this. He thinks his goodness, his faithfulness, his obedience, his pedigree is really going to get him into God's kingdom, and Jesus explodes that for him. And he explodes it for us this morning. Uh, D.L. Moody was a famous preacher who was once speaking to a group of church leaders. And after the meeting, he was confronted by this angry woman who came up to him and shaking her finger. And she says, Mr. Moody, do you mean to tell me that I, an educated woman taught from childhood in good ways and all my life, interested in the church and in doing good, must enter heaven the same way as the worst criminal of our day? And Moody gently replied, no, ma'am, I don't. God does. He says everyone who would enter heaven, no matter how good they think they are, or how well-educated or zealous in good works, must be born again. Our goodness, our religious prowess, our obedience, our following the Ten Commandments, our loving our neighbor, our generosity, it doesn't cut it. It doesn't give us eternal life with Jesus. And we have to ask why. Well, it's because for all of us, apart from Jesus transforming us from the inside out, all of our hearts are dripping with darkness. Verse 19 and 20 say, We love darkness instead of light because our deeds are evil. And we fear the light because we don't want to be exposed for who we really are. Verse 18 says, all of us, apart from believing in Jesus, stand condemned already, good or bad, moral or not. And if we're honest, this disrupts us in ways we don't like, like the woman that spoke to D.L. Moody. We think highly of ourselves. We love ourselves. And we want what we want. And we don't want other people, let alone God, to intrude on that. So we fall into patterns where we think our goodness and our faithfulness to God is really what makes him love and accept us. And for some of us, we really don't want the people around us to find out who we really are, what we really think and do when we're alone, what our deepest struggles, our deepest hurts are because we're ashamed, because we're afraid we'll be rejected for them or they'll be used against us. 
we know, if we're honest, that we don't have it all together. We know that we don't live like we're supposed to. So we do everything in our power to avoid being exposed, to avoid being known because we're afraid of what might happen, of being looked down on, of disappointing someone, or just worse, just being found out in general. And this is why Jesus says no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. But when we step into the light, honestly admitting our struggles, our brokenness, our failures, our deepest discouragements, Jesus showers us with his love. He takes all of our shame on himself and he rescues us and he makes us his. He gives us this rebirth. And so if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a reborn Christian, we shouldn't be afraid to be honest about our struggles. We shouldn't be afraid to wrestle in front of people. Why? Because Jesus doesn't reject us in them. And so we as the church should be the safest place for people to be vulnerable and broken because it's each and every one of our stories that we've been brought out of darkness into his light. through the grace and the death of Jesus. So how dare we not extend that grace to those around us? Jesus levels the playing field here. And he says it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. You need to be reborn because apart from me, we are all in darkness. Jesus says where you stand in relationship to me is what matters. Not your past, not your future, not your fears, not your guilt, not your goodness. Jesus' point is that you, me, every one of us need to be reborn and transformed, and that frustrates Nicodemus. And if we're honest, it frustrates us too, because it means we have no control. Like our first birth, we did nothing to contribute to our being born. We were completely helpless and weak, and that's exactly what Jesus is communicating here. You can't do this yourself. You didn't bring about your first birth, and you can't bring about this rebirth. It has to come from outside of you, and that leads us right to our next question. How does this rebirth happen? In verses 5 through 8, Jesus expands on being born again. He says in verse 5, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Jesus expects Nicodemus here to understand what he's saying because Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel and he knew his Old Testament better than anyone in this room right now. The reason he expects Nicodemus to understand it, he's talking about being born of the water and of the Spirit, is he's drawing on language from Ezekiel 36 and 37. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Jesus isn't referring to baptism here. He's talking about the transformation that comes from his spirit and his spirit alone. And we read earlier in Ezekiel 37, the account of God breathing his spirit onto dry bones and bringing them to life. He says, I will open and raise you from your graves and I'll put my spirit in you. God's spirit alone creates and gives new life to those who are dead in darkness. So being born of the water and of the spirit points to a heart transformation where you're made completely clean now before God. 
your sins, your rebellion, your imperfections, your twistedness, they're cleansed. They're forgiven. Your idols have been removed. The things that we cling to for happiness and comfort and security, and he frees us to worship and follow him and him alone. And it's the Spirit's work alone and not ours. Because if we're honest, we, like Nicodemus, sometimes think that we're pretty good, that we can clean up ourselves maybe, that we can fix our own problems. We just need a tweak here and there, um, that we mostly have it together. And our credentials, our past faithfulness, it really speaks for itself. Um, I don't really need to repent. I don't really need to turn away from the things, good or bad, that are keeping me from God. But Jesus says, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You can't generate kingdom life on your own. You never can, you never could, and you never will. You have to be born again. So, that leads us, how do we become born of the Spirit? Well, Jesus points to it in verses 14 and 15. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. In Numbers 21, the Israelites, having been freed from slavery in Egypt, are wandering in the desert, and they're complaining about God's provision for them. So God, in order to draw them back to himself, he sends these snakes among them, and it leads the people to repent. But God tells Moses, put a snake on a pole out of bronze, and make whoever look, and, and whoever looks at the snake, even though they're bitten, they will live. So in Jesus talking about himself being lifted up, he's talking about his death. He's talking about going to the cross and being lifted up. He's being exalted his humiliation, his suffering, his becoming our sin and dying on the cross for us is the means by which he rescues his people and gives us this new life. Just like the bronze snake was the means by which God rescued and gave life to the Israelites so long ago, new life is graciously given to God here as well. And there's nothing magical in it. It is only by recognizing your need. All they had to do was look upon the snake. All we have to do is to look upon Christ on the cross. That's why we sang that song this morning. That's the only way that we're going to come in is by seeing our need, seeing that we have nothing to offer and coming and looking at the cross. It's why we have to continually look at and be awed by the justice and mercy of God coming together on the cross where Jesus took all of our punishment that you and I deserve for our refusal to love and follow him. So the way to life is to look upon the one on the cross. Look at the one that's lifted up and knowing your need, trusting that you have nowhere else to go for life. So it's by believing that we have eternal life in him. So naturally, we have to ask the question, well, what does it mean to believe? Believing means to trust that what God says is true. It means living a life governed by God's truth and grace found in his word. It means that when we think or when we feel something contrary to God's word, we trust him and not our feelings. We trust him and not where the culture is going. It means when we're tempted to think that God is angry with us if we're his or disappointed in us, we remember that whoever believes in him is not condemned. Jesus said it, Paul says it later in Romans 8, that in fact, when God looks at you, he sees his son Jesus, and he delights, and he sings, and dances, and rejoices at the very thought of you. 
That is your reality, not the one that you construct in your head. It means that when you're tempted to be selfish and to look only after yourself and your own needs, you're actually being shaped by the gospel to empty yourself for the sake of those around you, to love and to serve them, to serve them and to do so joyfully even. So the kingdom of God is seen and entered. New birth is experienced, and eternal life begins through the saving cross work of Jesus received by faith alone. Why? Because God so loved the world and all of its brokenness, so loved you and me and all of our brokenness that he had to send Jesus so that he could make us his children. God's love is what motivates and accomplishes our being reborn because his love for you and for me and this world was so deep and so rich and strong that he sent Jesus to come and to suffer and die so that we could be born of the Spirit, so that we could be cleansed from our sins, so that we could be given life in the Spirit. Is that the type of God you know and worship? One who loves you deeply to the point of death? Or is your view of him based on something else, on someone else, on your own experience, Is he a God who's condemning you because you don't measure up? Or is he one that condemns those that don't look and act and live like you? I just want to tell you that thinking is completely opposed to the scriptures. It's completely opposed to the mission of God that we see in verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is how rebirth happens. The love of God sends Jesus to die and be lifted up on a cross so that we could be made new, so that we could be given new life and life eternal by believing on Jesus. So what are the effects from being reborn? There's a lot of them. You can read your New Testament. Um, But we're just going to look at the three that are in this passage this morning. The first effect from being reborn is faith or belief in Jesus. It's not just assent to the facts of who Jesus is and that he even died on the cross for your sins. James tells us that, that even the demons believe in God and they shudder. It means you're resting in him for life. You know that you're lost and you're hopeless without him and it's only because of the truth of his word and his faithfulness and love towards you demonstrated on the cross that you actually can have hope in life. It means living a life of repentance where we're constantly turning away from our darkness and towards the light that is Jesus. The next effect from being reborn, the second, is that you've come into the light. Verse 19 says, Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In verse 20, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they have done what has been done in the sight of God. When we live by and are defined by the truth, by the truth of the gospel, of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins because he loves us, because he wants us to be reborn for himself, verse 21 says that we come into the light and we'll even love it. Now this is why this is amazing. In uh, the movie, it's called The Box. It's starring Cameron Diaz. She plays a literature teacher. And her class is studying John Paul Sartre's play, No Exit. And their conclusion of the end of the play is this. Hell is being exposed for who you are in front of other people. And if we're honest, I think you and I would probably agree with that. 
it's a scary thing to be exposed, to have our heart intentions, to have our deepest brokenness, to have our, all of our secrets laid bare. We're ashamed. We know better. We're afraid because what if people really knew who I was? They would for sure not want to be my friend anymore. They for, would for sure not love me anymore. They would for sure be shocked and hurt and disappointed. They might reject me. They might leave me. And we think that God treats us the same way because that's how we've been treated in the past or that's how we treat others around us when they fail us. But verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Full stop. Do you know what that means? It means the God of the universe, the king, the creator, the redeemer, if you're his, he does not condemn you. Now, there may be further consequences and further pain that you have to endure, but you are free to stop hiding and to come into the light because our Jesus doesn't reject you and he doesn't leave you. It's there in the scripture. It's not hell to be exposed for who you are, Jesus says. It's actually the path to heaven. It's actually life because when you're exposed, you can stop hiding you can finally and freely experience God's tender embrace. You can finally and freely know life and freedom because Jesus doesn't condemn you. God's love and acceptance of you is not based on your performance. He loves and he accepts you based on Jesus' performance for you so that we can be the people of the light. In other parts of the country uh, where I grew up in Indiana, Homes have basements. Um, I know we don't have them, but a lot of other people do. Uh, If you've ever had a basement that wasn't completely finished, you know what I'm I'm about to tell you, that basements are just cold and wet and dark places. And if they stay that way, if they stay in the dark, nasty stuff grows there. There's mold, there's bugs, there's spiders, there's rats, there's other unspeakable things that grow down there. And the nasty keeps growing, and it keeps growing if it's left alone. And it isn't until you shine light on it that you actually see what's there, and that light is actually the first cure to begin getting rid of what's there that shouldn't be. And the same is true for our hearts. When light comes in, we're exposed, and our hearts and our motivations and our actions are laid bare for what they truly are. But if you are resting in Jesus, your darkness doesn't condemn you anymore because our God does not condemn you. Jesus took all of your darkness on himself on the cross. So if you live by the truth, there's no reason to not come into the light and not to stay there because you're free. And because of that light, the Spirit actually makes it possible for you to follow after Jesus wholly now. Your God doesn't condemn you. And if we as the church, as believers in Jesus, as those who have been exposed and who are in the light, when our sin is exposed, we shouldn't be angry. We shouldn't be defensive. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be blame shifting. And we shouldn't be hostile. Our response should be humble, honest repentance, admitting, listen, I'm much worse than you actually know right now. But the reality is, is Jesus loves me and he does not condemn me. So this morning, do you have the freedom 
to be broken and exposed and still loved by God? Do you allow people to be vulnerable and exposed and to share their darkness with you? Or do you threaten them with judgment and rejection when they do? said it earlier, the church should be the safest, most gracious, loving place on earth because it's the one place where we all have admitted already to come in that we have come to grips with our own darkness and we trust Jesus for his cleansing, life-renewing love. We're all on the same page before him and his grace covers us and he knows all of our darkness and he doesn't condemn us, so how can we condemn other people? And that's the third effect. In coming into the light, having been exposed and still loved, you join Jesus in his mission that he declares in verse 17. This mission of not condemning the world, but of saving the world through his grace. We often think that Jesus' mission is to condemn the world, and so we're really happy to join in him in that. But that is contrary to what our scripture teaches us. God loves the world and all of its messiness and all of its brokenness and he sends Jesus to save it. Are you and I caught up in that mission? God saw fit to save us despite our brokenness, despite our darkness. And he calls us as his reborn children to live by that truth, to join him as people of the light in his seeing and his love for seeing dark unbelieving hearts come to faith when they've been exposed by the beauty and the grace and the goodness of his gospel. If that light doesn't condemn us, how can we condemn those around us? Have you been born of the Spirit? Have you tasted this new life that Jesus is talking about? May we all, this week and every day, see our need and look to him who is lifted up because he loves us. Do you want to come into the light this morning? Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your continued pursuit of your people, for the way that you teach us and shape us and transform us by your Spirit. We ask that you would meet with us at your table now to come out of darkness and into light that we might know and love and experience you and your grace and that we might be sent out of this place to be a people who shine light on darkness and who offer love and humility and grace and the goodness of Jesus not condemning us. It's in his name we come. Amen.